Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. We're also going to look at how to cope with those bullying customers. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Christina Sikiotis, who's just back from the States with some interesting case studies. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I thought we would have a look in a little bit in depth today at uh, a couple of those case studies, particularly Tom Kelly from Idaho. Idaho. Yes, yep, Idaho. Tom Kelly was very inspirational. Um, For anybody that doesn't know what Idaho is, they should Google it and go and have a look. It's a a whole method around design thinking. Um, And Tom Kelly had a couple of extremely relevant and important case studies. So um, is it okay if we start off with one of the case studies? I think that would be good. Okay, so one of the case studies that particularly struck me was um, the number of premature babies that die in India. So what the the whole purpose of the exercise, and they actually gave this exercise to a group of their students. It's turned into um, much more than a student project um, a couple of years down the track. But what it what happened was they noticed that you know, there were about a million babies who were dying from hypothermia, um, premature babies in India every year. They went and had a look at what was going on in the hospitals. The hospitals had incubator machines that cost $250,000. So quite a substantial outlay. There's no way that you're going to get enough of those in their first thought to, to service that many um, premature babies. What they managed to do by the end of a certain amount of time was reduce the cost, produce a much smaller machine but just as an effective machine for $25,000. Mm. So going from 250000 to 25000 everyone went, fantastic. We'll be, you know, look at all these extra lives we'll be able to save. Mm. What they actually found out, Julian, was they didn't really save many more lives. And they, this sent them back to the source of the problem and they went, well, we've come up with this you know, new fantastic machine that's a tenth of the cost, why aren't we at least seeing tenfold improvement in, in life, you know, in the lives of these premature babies? What they actually discovered when they went right, right back to the source of the problem was that most of these babies aren't even making it to hospital. Wow. So you could have a thousand incubators in a hospital, it's not going to solve the problem because these poor these poor mothers are giving birth to premature babies who are dying of hypothermia in the villages. Yeah. It put them on a whole new course of thinking. So how, what is it that they could then take back into the villages to help solve the problem of all these premature deaths? Now, so what they've actually done is gone back to, gone right back to the source of the problem, which is what we often don't do. because We, we don't assume, do it. No. no, we don't. We assume that we know where the problem is. So just to, to finish that case study, because it is really interesting what they did, they ended up after a, a series of you know research, scientific experimentation, and everything else. They came up with a hypothermic suit um, that cost twelve dollars fifty to produce. That they could actually store in all the villages, so they could give each village X amount of these suits. Um, and what they had in them was a, a, a wax um, a, a wax component that slipped into the hypotherm into into the sack that heated the child up to the appropriate. Um, temperature, right? So it's 37 degrees Celsius. What they then were sprouting to these people in the villages was 37 degrees, ideal temperature, save your baby, etc. One of the women said to them, we actually, that's not going to work for us. And at which point they were astounded again, because at the source, 
these people didn't trust Western medicine. They didn't trust. They didn't trust the whole um, medicinal uh, theories that were coming out of the West. Yeah. What was it that they didn't trust? They didn't trust the fact that it was 37 degrees. They said, if a doctor prescribes us two tablets, we'll only take one. <laughs> what they then did was, was take out the degree, um, the, you know, the, the number from the, from the title, from the, from the experimentation and the, and the marketing material that they were using, um, and they just said, this will save your baby. So, again, if you go right, right back to the source... Basics. Yeah, right. And, and, so, and isn't that something that really we need to be listening to in business every day? It's an excellent and example, isn't it, of uh, judging, jumping to the wrong uh, problem sometimes and then and thinking we know the solutions. Yeah, and with all the best intentions. Like they went mm. into this experiment with the best intentions of saving lives um, and now that's exactly what they're doing. So they're, they're starting to measure how many lives they are saving. Excellent. Um, and it's turned into a, into a whole production, into... But that, that, just that emotional um, bearing on what that will have for all these mothers in the villages is absolutely incredible. Wow. You know, and the, for the long, for the long term um, mental capacity and everything else for mm. these people as well, mm. that they have something to use. And that's the whole theory behind IDEO. So Tom Kelly was very inspirational um, in telling us, just reminding us really, how to go back to the source because we used to do it. If you think about the days of, um, of customer service when customer service meant something which I do believe we're coming back to mm. we weren't worried about what we were selling to the customer we were more worried about what the customer wanted yeah when they were in there so it's, it's all about the ideas around mindful consumption as mm. well as we're coming through and the social the social implications um, of all those things so yeah. Very, very interesting, very stimulating, very, um, very important. And I bet he was and passionate when he was telling us, telling you those stories too. Oh, he was extremely passionate. He, I mean, the whole, the whole thing around IDEO and design thinking is that they solve world problems, you know, they, mm. and they think big. So it, it's, there's this whole idea about thinking big from the beginning. And I, we found it in a lot of the workshops that we run. If we're like, we'll, we'll encourage people to think big. But they still think within constraints. So it's mm. quite remarkable, even when you give people permission um, to get out there and, and think outside of every border that they've that they've you know having their in their minds or in their expectation, mm. they still don't. And we don't. We don't. A lot of the times, we actually don't take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that was really um, important, I believe, that he said was blending technology with humanity, and that's what big thinking is. Mm. So it's actually taking taking the best of what we have in technology and using it for humanity, not only using it because it's the latest technology. Yeah, and that that was a really um, important twist on the on the thinking around that as well. Wow, excellent! Uh, we've we've got about two minutes left. Have we got something that we can fit into that two minutes? Oh goodness me! You're asking me to put something in two minutes. Yes, I think so. I think we have. So um, the other important fact um, that I that was I guess reinforced several times, and again, it's a no-brainer and we know it, is the whole idea about you come up with a theory, so you ideate something, you create something around it, you plan it, um, and then you act on it, you prototype it. Then you prototype and you test, you prototype and you test, you prototype and you test. You, you know, you're iterating all the time and you're coming up with improvements all the time. Those improvements are coming from your customer base. So mm. you're always testing and always checking back with so, customers, and we've talked about it before, watching the pain point. 
Watching where is it in your customer that you can see them squirm or squint or draw back or, you know, there's, we have so many body language signals that we don't listen to. Yeah. Um, so at those points, that's where the problems need to be solved. And, and satisfying those needs is just, I mean, the customers will tell us what we need to do, won't we? They do all the time, even if it's just by looking at body language. So it's amazing what you can pick up in that respect. But also, but not waiting for too long to to try something new or, you know, to test something out. Or there's, it's, You know, I mean, we've said it so many times. How many examples can we give of people that have failed a thousand times before they've stumbled upon the, you know, the, the success? And of course, the other one that goes along with that is to have an ideas book. Even if you know, if uh, only one of those ideas come to fruition, all those other ideas is, uh, are a means of getting there. That's right. And you know, if you have a thousand ideas, you know that some of them are going to come off. If you yes. have one idea, you're never sure. Great. Well, thanks for your time again, Christina. We'll have a chat. We'll go back to our our two minutes next week, and we'll just have a, a chat about a few more of those uh, ideas that came out of that convention. Love to. Look forward to it, Julian. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Christina Sikiatis with uh, an interesting com- conversation on uh, the thoughts that come out of America and American converse- uh, Convention. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. And I thought for this next segment we'd look at a subject that seems to be very topical at the moment. How do you cope with a bullying customer? There's a well-known saying that the customer is always right. But are they? From my chats with people in business, especially retail, I'm getting a resounding no. I think it's a saying that has come about because of the importance of delivering exceptional customer service. And that is certainly a vital key to successful business. But can you go too far? Recently, I've seen a trait where customers are using their position as a customer to bully the business person or team member, either emotionally or verbally. And this is certainly wrong. So what can we do about it if faced with such a situation? Well, here are seven things you could do. Firstly, listen to the customer. The bullying customer will almost certainly be using emotional words and inaccurate comments to try and intimidate you. Be courteous, do not get emotionally involved, and certainly do not argue or become teary. Secondly, answer the customer with with facts, evidence, and examples to support your points. Direct the customer's attention to your terms and conditions, if that is appropriate, and correct their inaccuracies. Again, remaining cool and unemotional and courteous. Thirdly, take notes. Keep a written record of what happened and who said what. This could be a diary record, email or just some written notes. Fourthly, work towards a solution that will satisfy you both. This will be the best outcome, but if the customers are being unreasonable, No amount of discussion will resolve the problem. Fifthly, if the customer is being unreasonable, you may want to involve a colleague in the discussion. Sixthly, if a solution cannot be found, terminate the conversation courteously by walking away or putting down the telephone. You really don't want them as a customer because of the wasted time, energy and personal stress involved. And finally, afterwards, discuss the situation you experienced with another person, family member, colleague, etc. This will help you get it off your chest, allow you to distress, instead of going over and over the events in your mind. Remember, you can't please all the people all the time, and you do not deserve to be bullied by anyone, 
including the customer. Well, now it's time to have a look at a couple of our tips from the Harvard Business Review. And the first one is stop putting off your toughest tasks. We often procrastinate when there's too much to do. We dislike a task or we don't know where to start. If you figure out which of these is blocking you, you can determine next steps and get it over with. Some tips can help you get focused on the task at hand, even when you don't want to. Firstly, set deadlines for yourself in advance. Slot tasks into your calendar so you don't end up saving everything until the last minute. Then, reward yourself. Take a coffee break or go talk to a colleague once you've finished a particular dreaded task or save a task that you do like for after you've finished the one you don't. And finally, get help. If the problem at the outset is that you don't know how to start the project, work with a colleague who can help you. This gets you unstuck and holds you accountable. Some interesting comments there, isn't there? Well, what about this one? Dressing in formal clothing affects how you think. It's known that people's thinking becomes abstract when they adopt formal, polite language. So a team led by Michael Steplin of Columbia University set out to discover whether the same thing happens when people put on formal clothing. And indeed it does. Research participants wearing formal attire scored 5.04 on a 1 to 10 scale of type of thought process that measures abstract thinking versus 3.99 for those wearing casual clothing. Abstract thinking facilitates the pursuit of long-term goals over short-term goals, saving versus spending, for example. So that's an interesting comment, isn't it? Formal clothing can affect our thinking and improve it, in fact. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina Sikiotis. We'll discuss... Uh, an aspect of insurance with Steve Markey from our sponsor and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Winston Churchill once said, I am an optimist. It does not seem too much use being anything else.